You are listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. It's time to get embarrassed with us. Yes, our disciples. Uh, yes, all those part of the clan. Not the clan. The uh, It still sounds like a bad connotation immediately. You followers? <laughs> oh, we can't of do that. The, uh, of the guild. Of the um, all in my retinue. <laughs> this is Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Alan. My name is Jimmy. Welcome back, sir, again. Yes, yes, yes. I am back again. Sorry for for missing you guys for another week. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3, so you're... You all know what that means. That's right. (laughs) That means that we are non-for-profit, baby. If you want to keep us alive and kicking with your hard-earned dollars, those hard-earned dollars will be going to a good cause. RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash pledge is our page to go to where you can donate any amount of money that you see fit to help us out. And if you want to sponsor our show specifically, you can also go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash L-A-R. Yeah, I mean, hey, we could always use the sponsorship because it helps cut into our monthly dues and help us with a little more ease either way if you want to be a sponsor for our show or you just want to show radio free brooklyn a general all you know all-encompassing love it doesn't have to be hard-earned dollars it can be easier in dollars easier in dollars sure (laughs) can be dollars that were given to you through a trust fund these are hard times and Um, we are feeling it too because the arts are at threat you may not see it in the news but trust it I'm more concerned about what's not being reported on than what is being reported on. Well, you know, it's just that classic deal of um, got to learn how to make some money, right? Yeah. And hey, <laughs> we are always happy to enjoy what you have to offer. And if you have anything you want to contribute to our show, Lost and Rewound at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org is our email address. Pitch us your ideas and we can be on the show and we could laugh with you, not at you, with you. We're all in this together. Exactly. One big, happy, radio-free Brooklyn family. Let's get started. I don't want to have to get into that yet. It's my anniversary, actually. Ah, congratulations. It's my uh, it's my three years of being married to a lovely lady named Robin. And uh, interestingly enough, that this will come up later. But uh, what's so funny is is that, and we've you've you've mentioned this before, I think, and how hilarious it is that. But I think everybody talks about this is that my wife's name and her father's name and my father's name are all Robin. 
<laughs> so I'm surrounded by Robins. And your hero is Robin too. Yes. Well, which which incarnation? I was thinking of um. Is there there's Hood a... and <laughs> Williams? Probably yes. Williams. Ro- yeah, it's true. Robin Williams is my hero. This week, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about fathers. We've talked about fathers before. In fact, one of our original episodes that we had when we first started as a podcast, it was our sixth episode. It was around Father's Day. Well, how many years ago was that? How many How many years ago? That was that was 2013, dude. Four years ago. Oh, wow. I want to play a quick clip from that episode just shortly as a sort of a precursor to what I want to talk about in a little bit. The sounds of 2013 coming at you. <laughs> exactly. Context. Context. So much. So much context. Well, I think there's a the whole thing, especially uh, being, you know, that father-son relationship of trying to impress your father. You know, again, even if he's not around as much or whatever it happens to be. You share the uh, namesake of your father, so, yeah. I mean, you have a lot to live up to. Besides the fact that I didn't have any siblings, there was definitely a point in my childhood where my I thought that my father was, like, the kingpin and that everything he said was gold, and I took everything as complete truth. And I guess there was this point when I was a little older when, like, the glass shattered, and I realized that he wasn't the be-all, end-all. He wasn't, like, a hero. You know, he was just a man who has flaws like anyone else. And there's that separation and that, that change where you say, well, what does he want from me? What do I want from myself? And uh, how, do I, how do I get the best of both worlds? So, speaking on the tip of uh, namesakes, not, not just uh, my own wife and her father, but you and your father uh, share a name. Yes, I do. And uh, I'm also named for my grandfather, my middle name, too. Bernard. Oh. What? Yeah, my middle name is Bernard. I had no idea. It's pretty gangster. Holy shit. Yeah. James Bernard Hoffman Jr. The uh, second? Well, no, it's not. <laughs> Jimmy Jimmy Bernard Hoffman. The full the full name for full disclosure. Yes. Is, Your government name is James Bernard. It is Ari Hoffman. Ah, that's right cuz I saw the I. Yeah. So you have two middle names. So I have two middle names. Uh there's no hyphen in my name. And it's one of the names of my mother's last name, which is unpronounceable, too. Is it unpronounceable? Most, most lips. How, how do you pronounce it? I pronounce it both ways. Sometimes I pronounce it in the correct way to uh-huh. make people feel embarrassed. Yes. And sometimes I will anglicize it so that people can say it. Okay. The anglicized way is Irizari. I, I knew a guy whose last name is Irizari in college, actually. Shout out to yeah. Ian Irizari, who did the metal show. It's not the most common name, but I've heard it before as well. I wanted to really honor a lot of what this episode will be about, about fathers, a sort of belated Father's Day episode in some respects. But, um, you know, you are always talking about your dad. And so your dad is certainly someone who's very important in your life. He has shaped a lot of your humor and a lot of your uh, your swagger. And it's been kind of a rough last week or two. Your father was not feeling well. Do you feel comfortable talking about it? Uh, yeah, I think it's something that... Now, as, I'm, as it's happening, you know, anytime that you, you see, you know, traumatic events happening to other people around you, you watch it on television all the time, is that's where they always point the cameras, for instance. Um, it's difficult to sort of figure out how you're going to react to the situation and how you're going to, you know, try to move forward. And I've been thinking about it. You know, yeah, he's not doing so great. Uh, he's in the hospital right now. You know, I'd rather talk about it and have a community around me of people helping than, you know, trying to do this all ourselves sort of idea. He was always growing up a huge influence on me. Being an only child, I feel uh, all the focus goes on you. And then when you get older now, I'm realizing that sort of it's all dependent upon you to move forward and to take the reins if there was a situation you had to. 
I, I think about it like the Lion King. He was like uh, Mufasa. We should all be so lucky to look at, look at our father <laughs> like a James Earl Jones voice lion. Yeah, and it's funny because it, yeah, people that know him, uh, he doesn't actually have a deeper voice than mine. If you were wondering, it, like, like you know, fans out there, does is my dad like actually sound like James Earl Jones? Uh, he doesn't, sadly. I, I've, I had a deeper voice than him for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> he was always a big pillar in the community. He was a teacher in Park Slope for years. Um, you know, people always looked up to him because... He always told it like it was, and he still does tell it like it is. Um, he doesn't pull any punches. He's, um, you know, incredibly honest, but he's, uh, you know, an incredibly kind and generous individual as well. At this point, we actually don't know what's wrong with him. He's very sick, but the doctors don't really know what's happening. Yeah, they haven't been able to uh, pinpoint a diagnosis. Yeah, so uh, it's, it was difficult to see, um, you know, him sort of lose that swagger that he had, that he taught me, that I still try to keep on and carry on. Um, and then, you know, in that way, thinking that, you know, oh, wow, I might have to start, you know, taking care of him in the same way that he took care of me for so many years. And he was always the kind of guy to take food off his own plate and give it to me. He always made sure that I was safe and protected. And um, it's one of those things that when you see someone that is completely selfless and, you know, doing everything in their power to, to better your life, it's really, really humbling, I think. Growing up, it was uh, it was one of those things that I, I totally understand now as I'm getting older. Even listening to that clip, I totally understand why for so long I felt so ingratiated to him. And I said, you know, this guy probably doesn't, he's never told me a lie because his life was so dedicated to my life and to how, to raising me into being a good individual. If your parents had stayed together and your parents were not as uh, at odds with each other, I mean, obviously their relationship would be different, but yeah, the I, do relationship, think, but, I do but, think so. Yeah. But the relationship that you have with your father, like sometimes when these things happen, it doesn't change the relationship. You still remain close or you remain estranged either which way. But this seems to be a, 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 a guy who definitely was def, you know, affected by this very, very deeply. And you and it affected your relationship with him. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. Um, you know, our our family unit dissolved when i was in high school and again there was uh it was just i was the only kid so other than you know my father who had created this family in adulthood um for me it was the person that was the most rocked by like having that kind of break apart yeah it was it was, it was your father that took it harder than your mother. he he took it much harder. i mean she was the one that instigated it got it um but he took it much harder and uh he took it harder than i than i thought he would and i took it very hard as well but i think um really what ended up happening is that I very much held it against her at the time. And I was in high school. So I was at that point of being, you know, my, my emotions were like firing off at a million miles an hour. So I very much held it against her and our relationship sort of soured at that point. When I went to college, me and her got a little distant and I got closer to him in that time because he needed me more at that time at the same, what the same way. Um, I don't know what necessarily I needed at the time. Um, you know, I was, going back and forth and I don't think that I you know I'm, I'm glad that I didn't you know go down any sort of bad path because of like you know the emotional distress that I was in at the time but he definitely needed uh you know me to be around and be like a shoulder for him and when I went to college that was like a rough thing I, I could see the same way because all of a sudden you know he went from having his wife and his son around to now being in, in a house alone which was a rough situation and uh you know I'm, I'm really glad and and grateful for um, his girlfriend, Carol. He's had this girlfriend now for maybe, uh, I don't know, five years or so like that. And 
you know, she's like meant the world to him and she takes care of him a lot. And in fact, she's the only reason why I'm even, uh, I can even be here at this moment and be recording the show. I wouldn't want at this point. I still wouldn't want to leave his side. Were you ever expecting that at this part of your life, even before you turned 30, that you would be playing a role in a reverse sort of uh, parenting role in some respects? Because I think that happens eventually all, all together. Kids, it's like the Benjamin Button effect where like grownups become the kids and the kids become the grownups kind of thing. Absolutely. I think uh, especially in our generation, more so than in past generations, we're living in a big period of extended youth. And growing up, I suppose I wondered when I was going to really feel like an adult. Because when I was 18, I didn't feel like an adult. When I was 21, I didn't feel like an adult. When I graduated college, I didn't feel like an adult. I want to say that in the past few years, I've started to feel it more. And I wondered, I said, you know, it, maybe it's going to be when I all of a sudden have some large responsibility or something like that. I said, hey, you know, if I get married, I have children or a traumatic event where I lose, you know, my parents or one of my parents. I think in that way, I'm going to change a lot because there's going to be a new amount of responsibility that I'm going to have. And I'm going to have to become a different human to take on that responsibility and to move forward. Big tough events are, are what mark your life. You know, people will go and say, "Oh, I remember this age or that age." But when you get older, it's harder to define. I feel like each individual year, you always go back and look at those big moments in your life, those moments that changed you. And I think that, especially now, I'm feeling it happening. Like I can feel the change, and it's it sort of feels like every every movie and TV show and book I've ever read. It, I, I can feel that. On the goofy side of it, it even goes all the way to I feel like. Um, in one of those ancient kung fu movies where the guy finally discovers his inner power. And I'm like, oh, it's been there all along. You just needed to harness that just power. Tap, tap, tap the, into it. To the dad chi. But that's the idea is you need, uh, you know, they're never going to know what's going to move you to that point or what's going to make you feel in that certain way. I'm curious as to the relationship that your father had with your grandfather in so much as if this similar feeling that you have in the rising to the occasion occurred with him maybe when your grandfather got sick it's, that's the, the really interesting thing about my family and, and something that is a little bit of a, a slight worry for me now is that not only is my father getting sick with a sort of mysterious brain ailment um but my uncle recently passed away with a mysterious brain ailment my condolences. Um, that, uh, thank you and my grandfather also passed away from a mysterious brain ailment all right around the same age in their early 60s so my grandfather i got the chance to meet him but i was one he passed away like literally a week or something after my first yeah, birthday. That was my mom's parents. I, I luckily got to meet them before I turned six or seven or so. Yeah, my other my other grandparents exactly got to know when I was a child. Um, but he passed when I was a baby. And from everyone that I've ever spoken to that knew him, he was um, absolutely one of the most amazing people. My mother even, who you know, has been separated from my father for years. I mentioned when my father got sick to her, I, was, I mentioned my grandfather because of the similarities in the cases. And she goes, he was such a wonderful man. He was this guy that apparently everyone in their area looked up to. He wasn't the smartest guy and he wasn't the strongest guy, but he was a, like a big man and he was a smart, and he was someone that we, people went to for guidance constantly. And, uh, you know, he fought in World War II. He flew something like 74 combat missions. He did three different combat tours. And he was considered like a good luck charm because he was, always, he was the guy that would always bring everybody back. So it was one of those things that I really regret that I didn't get a chance to know him growing up. And similarly, I was thinking about recently, you know, I hope that my father 
we can get through this and we can figure out what's wrong with him and hopefully fix it because I always want him to be around and have grandchildren that he can give advice to. You mentioned your mother and the way that she felt about your grandfather. Is it something that is still a little fresh and, uh, and sensitive to talk about? Or how did your mother take the news of your father's sickness? My mother was very upset, but I think, um, you know, their differences are, it's been, it's in the past now for the most sure. part. Sure. So what my argument would be that either regardless of, and I don't know how couples, estranged couples, divorced couples deal with it. They deal with it, obviously, their own different ways. But I just have always assumed that there's at least that human moment where that moment of like where you could just sort of go back to reality and realize this was somebody that you cared for and they are not feeling well and you should at least have the decency of you know reaching out and you know seeing what's you know everything is everything okay which i from what you told me off air yeah she's she's been really good about it yeah. um and she's been very supportive of me you know it's one of those things that again it's we're not all part of the same family anymore, so she's not going to well, be, be in the same way. You're the drawbridge. That's true. She's not going to be able to be there in the same way for my father. But my mother is an incredibly um, empathetic human. Mm-hmm. She's the kind of person where you're watching TV and the the ad with you know the sick dogs comes uh, out and she's yes. crying and you know she sees a child and you know or she's walking down the road and if you want to go on vacation to a poor country and she sees a child starving and she's crying, you know so. She feels uh, anytime that someone's in pain. And Speaks to the religious woman in her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny because more recently I myself have, and this is, again, it might be around the time that my father was starting to get sick because it, I feel like it ha- was happening over the last few years and we just didn't realize what was happening. But I've personally recently began to try to feel more because when I was a kid, I actually remember a thing that my father told me. After... My grandfather passed. My grandmother, my dad moved my grandmother in next door to us. And yes, you've talked about this Yeah, and before. he took care of her for 12 years or 13 years, it was, when she was next door. And he was there every day doing stuff for her. And she was the sweetest woman. And she took care of us. And I remember that when she passed away, which was actually like a couple months before uh, 9-11, actually. I'm sort of kind of, if, it, if she was going to pass that year, I was glad that she didn't have to see that, you know? Yikes. Exactly. At her funeral... I was, you know, I was incredibly upset because this woman had been around for my entire childhood and I was crying when I was 13. My father looks over at me and he says, don't cry. Men don't cry. You have to be strong for the rest of the family. And I remember I was sitting next to my cousin, my cousin Alla, who was also an only child. And she's the daughter of my uncle, John, who's my father's brother. I think I get it. And so we, the two, the two, you know, cousins were sitting there and my two, and my father and my uncle were sitting there. And and to, to my right, my two aunts, or not my two aunts, my mother and my aunt were sitting there. My mother and my aunt were crying. My cousin was crying. My father and my uncle were stone-faced. And that was their mother. Mm. And I was crying. And I couldn't stop myself. And my dad kept telling me to stop, and I couldn't stop myself. Well, you've become, I think, a little more empathetic as you I've begun to cry more as I've gotten older. That's not... not <laughs> now, I wouldn't... It's funny because I don't cry in situations with things that happen to me. It's always things that happen like... To other people, yeah, you got the empathy from your mom. Yeah, I think that's. I think that is what it is. I want to play one more uh, excerpt from that episode where we were chatting about fathers. There is actually something that kind of ties in to all this. 
my parents are again two different races so they had two different ideas about bringing up children and very much from the uh classic hispanic mm -hmm. uh, like way of bringing people up my mother used to hit me when i was a kid and uh, my father the same way didn't approve i remember watching them have like like yelling matches about hitting me uh, and i remember that at one point my mother conceded that she wouldn't hit me in the face anymore and then at one point she would she said okay i'll only spank him and then my father was like, no, I don't want you hitting him at all. Let's just, let's just talk to him. Because if you explain to him the deal, he'll, he'll probably stop. And uh, so my mother did stop hitting me, but she, would never, she never conceded to explaining uh, her reasoning for anything. You were still just in trouble. Well, it was the whole deal that she would tell me to do something. And if I didn't see why she was asking me, I'd ask why. I'd say, Ma, why do you want me to do this? And her answer was, of course... Because I said so. And I would say, that's not, a, that's not a real answer. That's not a good enough answer. You are not the authority. And then she would always say, well, you always listen to your father. Why do you listen to what your father says? And I'd say, well, because I'll ask him the most mundane thing, and he'll give me a real thought-out explanation. It may be something really simple or stupid that I'm asking about, but he'll put the thought into it and give me a real answer for why. And even if it's you know, something that I didn't need to hear, it's something. It's just I needed to hear something back. I, you know, a sense of mutual respect in that way. Whereas your mother was very empathetic from what you're telling me. It also seems like she allowed her emotions to get the best of her versus your father, who seemed to be a little more pragmatic, a little more de uh, steeped in logic, uh, if anything, uh, when it came time to making really important decisions. Yeah, he knew that I was uh, a rational kid and that if he could rationalize something to me, that I would make the right choice. How does it sound to hear what you're talking about four years ago? I mean, at this point, is the relationship that you have with your parents when we first began this show any different than it is now in so much as the way that you see the both of them? Well, for one, with my mother, we have a better relationship than we had four years ago. Okay. We aren't distant like we used to be. Okay. We, we, we At got, that time, you were, though. Yeah, four years ago, we were still not as close. Okay. And um, we were getting there. We were starting to reforge it four years ago. That was sort of like the beginning. We had a fallout when I was in college and then a few years when I got out of college. My mother, um, she actually came and apologized to me years later about the treatment that she gave me as a kid. I think maybe in the time since we recorded this. And okay. um, she basically said that she didn't realize my aptitude as a kid. She sort of you know, tried to raise me in a similar way that she'd been raised. And that was sort of an iron fist because of you know bad behavior and stuff like that. She just assumed that you would be raised the way that you were supposed to be raised as opposed to uh, tailored to how you actually were. Absolutely. She didn't change. You know, Being the part of the next generation, she didn't change her parenting from the last. And she was you know thinking I was going to be this really rambunctious kid. And I mean, obviously, I was a kid. And there, there was, I'm sure, you know, elements of what I was doing that reminded her of her and her siblings as a kid. But it was one of those things that she didn't realize that in, in any situation, she could push me in the right direction and I would do what was necessary rather than kind of bashing me in the right direction and hoping I did exactly what she wanted. She came out and said, you know, I'm sorry. I was way harder on you than I needed to be. Before she was religious, really, she used to judge. Now I can bring anything to her and she won't judge it. She'll come with, a, with an open mind. And I feel um, that personally that's something that I've always tried to stress to her about everything, any situation. If I see a guy doing something terrible on the street, someone's you know committing some horrible criminal act, as bad as it is and as much as I'll condemn it and that I hope that he you know, serves the punishment for it, 
I know that there's a reason why he did it. And I think that you have to understand why before you can really decide how you want to go about addressing that. I want to get into this movie that you made in high school because the audio is luckily the more dominant part. So it's easy to listen to and get a visual picture, although the pictures themselves are just fascinating. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to ask you if this film that you made, did it fuel the fire or did it help patch things up? I feel, if anything, that the film brought me closer to my mother. I feel like my father, he's always had problems talking about emotional things. And, it, and even in the, when we play it, you, you'll be able to hear in his voice that he's, this is not what he's it's typically his forte. He doesn't talk. His whole family, my whole dad's side of the family, never talks about anything emotional. Yeah. So even the fact that I'm doing this right now is totally out of character for like a Hoffman it's to a, be it, doing. This, this is a very special episode of Lost in Rewound. I had mine. You have yours I'm now. trying to change. I'm trying to, to, to turn the page and do something um, different. And, you know, the same way, I, I think that when my uncle got sick, we didn't really talk about it. And maybe we should have. Maybe this sort of thing will reach out somewhere and someone will hear about this and you never know. HBO ran this thing called the HBO uh, Real Works Young Filmmakers uh, Program. I believe I was in the second iteration. It's been going now since uh, I did it. And we were considered to be, we were not the founding group. We were the second semester group, but they always talked about how we were the ones that solidified it. And we kind of like, we, we made it into what it, and it's, it's huge now. And they've been doing it now again for, gosh, when I, was, when I put this out, it would have been um, 13 or 14 years ago. And the same people are still doing it. Uh, and the idea was to find inner city youth and give them a camera, tell them to do something, make a documentary. And my idea that I had at the time was something that I've always had to deal with and the thing everyone does was trying to cope with uh, emotion, figure out how you play into society and how you should act in situations. I found that something that I realized now, I didn't understand what it was at the time, I do, something called code switching. Oh, we talked about code switching. Yeah, so uh, then I it's not even code switching anymore on this show. It's Hoff switching. It's Hoff switching. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I didn't realize what code switching was when I did this documentary. This was sort of me figuring out that I did that and thinking that it was dishonest. I think I I was ashamed of the fact that I did it at the time. Uh, And again, if anyone isn't familiar, bare bones code switching is changing your speech pattern to match the people you're speaking with. Uh, which is a thing that a lot of city people do because of all the different dialects and accents that you begin to hear around you. And uh, yeah, it's called uh, multifaceted. And I had guidance by the people of the program, but it was 100% created and produced by myself. All the interviews were interviewed by me. So when people are talking about me, I'm interviewing them. So it's equally awkward. It's a a seven-minute movie of which you can certainly see online, but uh, for the sake of time and for focus on the topic at hand, we'll play just a portion of it. Since I was young, my mother and I have never really gotten along. Maybe part of the problem was that I thought my family was happy, but my mother had been depressed for years. It actually took a lot of explaining on my part for him to understand that what he thought was the perfect family really wasn't and that I had to explain to him that you know you know there wasn't a whole lot of happiness there. Some people see a lot of signals from someone and some people don't so it may be that I had to be told in so many words. His dad used to say that we were happy so so, you know if someone tells you this is what happiness is then you start to believe it and his his dad actually would say oh this is great aren't you know everything is wonderful 
Everything wasn't wonderful. My mom wasn't being completely honest with us. She felt unhappy, but I had no idea. When she left my dad and moved out, I was devastated. I stayed with his father for, for many, many years. Um, when I necessarily maybe did not want to be with his father. He'd made a decision, and that was it. My mom didn't connect with my father and I. We communicated through humor, but she couldn't do that. She hadn't loved my father for 10 years. We used to fight constantly. Everything that I tried to talk to him about or any type of uh, instruction, it seemed like everything was a struggle. and. He used to rebuff me all the time, and it was just, it was really hard. My attitude had always been that, you know, there are compromises. For example, um, if he wanted things a certain way, you know, I didn't purposely try to make it different, just to be difficult. But so for my son to observe that and to think, well, that's the way it should be. In other words, you're, you're married, you're, you stay loyal instead of maybe making choices as to um, what would be best for him and what would make him happy. How do you think the, uh, the separation affected uh, Jimmy? Well, I think he took it pretty well because fortunately it happened when he was, you know, like 16. I wasn't okay after my parents' separation. It had a large impact on me. Jimmy isn't always up front, you know, sometimes, sometimes I can, I can see Jimmy puts up like this magical feeling reflection, it's kind of like a force field, you know, it's like beep. So when something is wrong, people usually don't really know until he talks about it. You know, he never really changes his act, I guess. My father told me at my grandmother's funeral that I shouldn't cry. Men don't cry, and we need to be strong for the family. Ever since then, I haven't been able to express my emotions when I needed to. Being a parent is a hard thing. And you're never, ever going to get it absolutely right, ever. And all you hope is that everything that you do um, as a parent is you just try for the best. I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. And the only thing I try to do is I just try to do my best. And I hope that he understands that. Love you. I don't think that I'm just doing this to attack you or anything.
it's really unfortunate that you can't see that last part. That was a really sweet moment where you had gotten up and embraced your mother after, you know, she poured her soul out there. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I can't say that there's ever going to be a moment when my father will. Maybe he will at some point, but that's the thing. is He's a tough guy, and he never wants to show any sort of weakness. He's got a huge right. amount of pride. Does he equate weakness and religion at, in sort of the same thing? Yeah, like I, I would say he, so. I, he, idealism. He, 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 he probably does because he thinks that you should just be able to muscle through things and you shouldn't need anything to fall back on. And, and then you'd say like, what does that mean, muscle through? <laughs> <laughs> muscle through like all your problems? And uh, yeah, I mean, he's kind of like a bull in a china shop when it comes to that. I don't know, I don't know exactly how he, he's done it this whole life. And how did he react when the rabbi came into the... <laughs> <laughs> to the hospital room. Yeah, the rabbi came and they were like, "Oh, we coming? We you know to try to find all of the Jewish uh, you know people here." And he he told the guy to scram. Basically, <laughs> I've been so. Did in, he I, tell him to scram? Told him. I, and, and, I'm, no I'm, I'm, putting, I'm putting it nice. <laughs> <laughs> he made he may he may have uh, said something known to the Yiddish as "fuck off." I mean, I'll say it like this: there was a point in which <laughs> my father was was so sick. Uh, He's doing a little better than he was then, but it was a point when he was so sick that all he could do was move his hands. He's mm. completely under, you know, tubes and wires. And we mentioned something that he didn't like, and we told him to react to it. And he put up his middle finger Excellent. <laughs> from that. And I have a photo of that. Excellent. <laughs> You've been so uh, honest and upfront and able to talk about this because uh, according to what we heard there, from your friends in that excerpt even just that you kept a force field and that force field has been since eradicated four years we've been doing this show in some form and even now you've become very honest about how you are you know especially since you're a comedian you're a storyteller a uh, personality you have the ability to be so much more upfront honest with what goes on in your personal life things that I wish I could be that confessional. I, I'm still striving to be that way, and there's so much about my life that I honestly still feel like, even in the now, that I can't talk about. But yet you are able to be that upfront about what goes on, especially with such sensitive matters with your father. I really commend you for being able to talk about that on the show. Well, thanks. You know, it's something that, similarly, when I would watch television programs or films and things, or, you know, read books and things in articles where I would see people talking about traumatic events in their lives, I never really understood why they would. Never, I, I never, you know, I was like, oh, why are they getting on this? Are they getting on a soapbox? Or are they trying to just get attention? You know, I know that the people that are filming them, they probably just want the ratings, you know, that sort of thing. It, 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 it seemed, the human it seemed, condition gets good ratings, but it seemed, you have to think about how do you present it? It was just one of those things where I think that because I hadn't necessarily experienced something so similar, I couldn't see the rationale behind wanting to speak about it or wanting to reach out to people about it. But I think that um, anyone who has this experience in their own life you know, can relate because now when I'm now watching these things and seeing these, these, these different things, now I feel like I'm looking with different eyes. I'm, I'm through a different lens. And, uh, you know, anyone that can relate to a situation like mine, I'm sure, understands how hard it is and the same way, how difficult it is for me to be doing this in this moment now. I don't know that it's something that my father necessarily would do himself. I don't really don't think he would. But I think it's that idea of that true strength comes from overcoming those things that 
you never think you'd be able to do or climbing that mountain you never thought you'd be able to climb. You know, that's something that he always tried to stress in me to be someone that other people could look up to, to be someone that people could ask advice of and to be someone that, you know, could be a rock. So I think that in this scenario, that's something that I'm trying to step up and be. Your good work, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I know it's most of you guys know me on the show. <laughs> it's this guy talking with his voice. You know? that's, that's where it comes from. Yeah, um, but I think that that's exactly it is. Uh, you know, I love humor. And uh, trust me, uh, I try to be funny all the time. But humor is just one of the best ways to approach hardship. Sure. And to get through difficult you were, you, times. You were even saying that you barely wanted to even cover any of this during your recent comedy sets, but you swallowed your pride and did it like at least one, right? No, I've um I've well I've gone out and done a lot of comedy since he's yeah. gotten sick because I'm able to go out in the evenings. Um and he's you know, he's he's resting. Uh but I have talked about it a few times now. Cool. It's been something that I think has been um, rewarding for myself and for, for people that are watching the same way. When we come back, let's uh keep on the topic of Popses and uh, Popses. This is Lost and Rewound. I Poppy Edition. <laughs> Radio Free <laughs> Brooklyn. Pressure in case you missed it in the beginning of the show. We uh, were chatting about the fact that my father and my wife both are named Robin. But to that point, my wife's father was also named Robin. So basically, my life's gone to the birds, Jimmy. And you know what's so funny, though, is, is that her father's middle name was Hood. In like the yearbook, he was actually written as Robin Hood Ray. It'd be like Jimmy Bernard, right? Yeah. Robin Hood Ray. That's... Robin Hood Ray. It's what? pretty awesome. It's pretty so, awesome. Let's not talk about her father. Let's talk about my father, Ro- <laughs> Robin Lee Danziger. I never really connected with my father when I was growing up as well as I did with my mother. But in the Danziger's own clips, it does not appear that way. Because my father was somebody that I revered. As I've mentioned before, I revered him heavily. I, I never could stop taking him seriously because he himself took everything seriously. He had his own weird sense of humor Sometimes inappropriate sense of humor, and still to this day, very inappropriate sense the of classic humor. Classic dad humor is inappropriate. Oh, yeah. It's like if you had to label dad humor to be inappropriate. For sure. And ultimately, I would say that I've got my sense of humor from him, if not for the fact that I am dreadfully unfunny. <laughs> I love my father. For someone who is, you know, quote unquote humorless, you're still the member of a pretty comedic show sure you do a pretty comedic stuff i do my best i do my best it'd be like if you're for you to say that you're not comedic would be that instance of like you're the most extroverted introvert you know you're the funny you're the funniest of the not funny right he had definitely a lot of eccentricities on display on the danziger zone and he would do a segment with us called dramatic dad sometimes it included sarah sometimes not uh, ultimately, I would put the recorder in his face, and we would do sketches together. When we did this originally, uh, we're talking about my father in 2013. Uh, we did a clip where, like, we played gangsters or something, 
And I was like, and he was like, oh, you got me. Ah, oh, you got me. Why'd you have to shoot me? <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, Joe, I had to do it. Like, I don't know, it was really very spot on in retrospect, terrible improv, but ever so perfect for a father and son to be utilizing the recorder to, I don't know, make some shit up. Time for a dramatic dad. My dad wants a dramatic boy loves to be brought up <laughs> downstairs. No, no, we're not doing it. It's too bad. No, <laughs> get him. No, no. <laughs> we're not doing it for you, Dad. It's too bad. Good, then you're sleeping downstairs where it's cold. No, we're sleeping right here. You're not gonna kick me out. It's too bad. That's been a dramatic dad. <laughs> a question if it was actually your dad at the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, is, yeah. This, is this guy actually asking us to bring logs in? He was utilizing the opportunity to be dramatic to say, kids, it's time to do chores. Let's make it happen. And I'm going to give a funny voice and get all silly and tickle my children to submission. I definitely knew a lot of dads like that when I was a kid. Like you say. It would play along for a moment, but it was a, it was always a very serious situation. You know, when my dad used to approach me as a kid, I had mentioned, I think, um, in the clip earlier, I mentioned from the old episode, that he used to treat me with respect ever since I was a kid. He never spoke down to me or gave me the idea that the fact that I was younger than him made me any less of a human. Yes. You know, so he would always just talk. You know, he realized I had less intelligence and not necessarily less intelligence, but less experience. Um, and I didn't know, you know, certain things that I was naive and he would try to approach me very sometimes candidly and explain things for me. But I realized this when I was older that he wasn't so dad-like all the time. My father treated me so much like an equal at times. It was like a friend. And then there was times in my life I realized and I said, ah, he needs to be a little more dad-like right now. He relates too well to me in certain situations. I feel like I'm going against what I was saying earlier, <laughs> right? But I think that's interesting because I think that when I raise my own children, when I have children... I don't feel like I'm going to raise them in the same way my father did. I've always thought that I was going to be harder on them than he was on me. There are certain memories that I have regarding my father of which are just sort of slices of life, really, if anything. They were always involving either the car, homework, or yeah, no, or, or breakfast, I think, the mornings. Uh, I, I have a recollection of when I started my new school. Uh, going to this middle and high school where I had to wake up at six something in the morning and we would have to be out the door by 645 in order to make a 651 or 652 bus exactly on the dot and he would drive me down and my dad was legitimately in his 20s was a cab driver in Queens so I just always told people that as a fair warning when they would come in the car uh, back to the house because he may very well drive really fast. He rushed a lot. There was, You know what's funny? And when he picked us up late, and he would just like zoom right into the parking lot, being like, oh, I'm here. Almost, You could always tell it was him. Almost every other dad I rode in a car with growing up drove like a bat out of hell like that. Oh, yeah. That was like the classic yeah. dad way to drive. Uh-huh. Um, but my dad didn't. My dad drove really slowly and deliberately, and he drove really well. Like He would park like a mastermind, and he had the timing of the lights perfect anytime there'd be a light pattern he would just hit the perfect miles an hour to hit every single light yeah i never saw him go through a yellow light ever he would leave like extra room he was he would drive in the opposite way that almost everyone on the road would drive oh yeah no my dad was a (laughs) law-abiding citizen and he drove very um 
very lawfully, especially when it came to like speeding. Um, that's not true. <laughs> he definitely would speed on the highway, and I would be lucky enough to be in the car every now and again when there was a ticket that he got. So I've learned, Dad, thank you, to drive with a little more care on Route 28 in Kingston. <laughs> so one thing is that my dad used to drive these absolute boats. He used to drive a F-350 you know, Ford pickup, mm-hmm. and he also used to drive a um, 1968 Cadillac ambulance, which is similar to the Ghostbusters ambulance. The thing was 18 feet long, so you had to sort of drive these things slowly and deliberately because they would also be bashing into everything around you. And he sort of knew that no matter what, if someone decided to get into an accident with us, that they were going to be the ones in trouble because these things were beasts, and anything, you know, we wouldn't feel it. To this day, he never got into any major fender-bender accidents, and to that I appreciate and applaud his ability to cheat all those moments that could otherwise be very, very easy to get. He did teach me how to drive manual, although, to be fair, the car that I learned to drive manual on from him was awful. <laughs> that Subaru legacy from like 1992 or something. Like teaching me to drive, it felt like... I mentioned before, the majority of my memories of him uh, as a kid were really helping me with homework, helping me learn something. He was always in a very teaching sort of mode. And I know your father's a teacher, so that was very comfortable for him to be helping you with homework probably in moments where that you, need, where you needed assistance. My father was the exact same way. I don't know how to set this clip up other than it says presidential speech. I'm doing an assignment for being a president and uh, my dad is going to help me do a speech. All right. Here, take it away, Dad. <clears throat> Fellow Americans, classmates, Mrs. Bartell. I wish to thank you all for giving me this opportunity to express why I should be your next class president. More than anyone in this class, I understand the problems and the difficulties of being in the sixth grade in the Woodstock School. It's not easy. All of you have come a long way. And I am going to see to it that the problems that come up in this class and the responsibilities I have to help solve those problems will be handled in a most presidential manner. Take a long run, Clint Sheets. <laughs> oh my God! Did he call you Clinton? Yeah, I know. I called, called him. Another, you called him Take Clinton. a long walk, Clinton, or something was what I said. Jeez, I mean, he was doing that. Pay- that's that is the best that was the dramatic dad clip. That was dramatic dad. <laughs> the other one was just like slice of life. So that actually, was. Did you actually dad. run for president? I don't remember, and I probably didn't. I I think like we all like you kind of amused about it. Seriously, I don't remember, and it's amazing when I hear this clip because how I even thought that I could beat Nate Robbins in uh, the presidential. <laughs> you had a kid who was the president kid? Oh, no, there was a kid who was like the all-star. I, Nate, man, <laughs> I would love to get you on the show. If you're not uh, too busy being a rock star father, please come on the show so we can chat about some clips from Hebrew school. Did uh, we, um, did, open invitation, sir. <laughs> did we ever talk about uh, the fact that I was a senior class president too? I don't think we talked about this. Yeah, when I was a senior in high school. Did 
You I were elected by a body of your peers. I was elected. There was 11 people running. Oh, Jesus. And I got 75% of the vote. Wow. <laughs> we're talking landslide, baby. That is um, impressive, Jim. And what it was is I just used a propaganda prop campaign. And I basically just knew a that- A propaganda no- <laughs> campaign? I knew that no one knew any of the candidates. No one was running that was actually popular. So it was all just- Were you put on or did you want to run? I just liked the idea of having power at the time. I thought it'd be cool. <laughs> I was like, "What kind of power can I have?" I was like, "I was in high school. I was very much like a you know a goofster." So I was in the school plays. I knew that people knew me from the school plays. So I was like, "So you used your platform as being known yeah. by the school body as the actor to." I said they're going to recognize you. I said they're going to recognize my face, and I'm going to have them associate my face with my name, and I'm going to put posters with my face and my name just all over the school with none of my actual platforms. Just so they can remember who I am, because I know that they don't. They're going to see their names. I have no idea. And they're going. Eh, I remember that guy. He was sort of funny, and it worked. It absolutely worked. I went so far Politics. as to getting, as to getting, yeah, as to getting uh, girls to go and put the posters of my face like in the women's restroom, like inside the stalls, so that when they would go to the bathroom, I could oh, be a picture. Man. Of me. You needed like a campaign manager working for you, like Melinda in the clip that uh, yeah, in, the, right? in the DVD. You needed like females in your life that could do it for you. Well, I remembered that my because my father. Go and this actually anywhere. goes back to my dad. Why I ran like this. My father was a uh, marketing professor at BMCC, Manhattan Community College, for thirty years, thirty-one you years. You didn't tell me he did marketing. He did or, marketing, or, an intro to business and marketing. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, so sorry. Two, two different I, classes I, he would do. Got it. I knew about the yeah. business. I didn't know about the marketing. Yeah, it was actually, yeah, it's actually two separate classes. Marketing was more on the advertising side. Got it. And one thing that he told me about when it really comes to advertisement, that it's a lot of the time it's really just about remembering the product more so than convincing you the product is good. Because when you're looking at two products and you don't know one of them, you do know one of them, you're, you're just more likely to buy the one you know. Because it's just a familiar, a familiarity sort of thing. It's probably why I was never going to successfully get anybody to vote for me if I actually wanted to. Because I doubt I really wanted to. I thought maybe I could just because I was a nice guy. I always, I always thought myself <laughs> the as nice a nice guy. Nice platform guy. only worked for like Jimmy Carter. Yeah, and that didn't do much of anything at all. You were in sixth grade and. My dad was waxing like we've come a long way. <laughs> I know the way he put it was. Oh, uh, yeah. It was like there's. It was infused with this some, this like caustic wit. And I yes. Liked it. Yeah. Yeah. When my dad hears this episode, and I ho- I hope he will. I would love for him to hear that because he is a staunch liberal through and through. So hearing him read that, <laughs> considering the climate that we live in now, I, I think he would be beside himself to hear what he was be writing. It's like, hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, so I'll I'll, I'll wrap up the story of as, as, as oh, my yeah. my I'm reign as president. That. So I was elected, right? You were elected, uh, yes. And uh, then when I became president, I was like, so what? Are, what are my responsibilities? Like, what do I get to do? I could do nothing at all. And all they had me doing was that I was in charge of like the decorations for like a school dance and like the borders around pages of the yearbook and stuff. It was really, really superficial. Uh, superficial. It was all this superficial stuff. Nothing that affected anyone's actual lives. Um, and I immediately re- <laughs> renounced my post and just gave it to the person who came in second place. Oh, <laughs> you're just, you're such a I kind resigned. politician. And by politician, you are not a politician at all if you give your post I away. I gave my post away. I mean, again, like, I thought I was going to be able to do some cool. And then once I got in, I couldn't. But then I, I had it as, it was just, a, it was a feather in my cap. It was a laurel, you know. Part of the reason why my father was so 
enigmatic in a lot of ways with me and why my relationship was not necessarily strained, but just a little bit more um, stilted, I think is the right word, is because he worked so much. So my mother was around more often because my father worked really hard and constantly was at the office, if not uh, on business trips. Uh, I've mentioned before on the show about his line of work, of which he still is in, and that is in the world of numismatist Wow, I'm, I'm now forgetting the noun for it. Numismatism, maybe? He is a numismatist, or he works in the numismatist industry. And for those of you like myself who have no idea what that is, it is... Someone who deals with mint, and not the mint that you put on your ice cream. The, color, talk- the color mint? I'm, I'm talking about that world uh, paper money, baby. Oh, money. Yeah, minting, minting money. Yeah, I'm, so, the mint, the mint. Yeah. And one is say the word again. Numismatist. Numismatist. It is defined in the dictionary as somebody who deals with with the minting of of currency, yes, or or just dealing with currency. Or so or is he like a distribution? Is he an old currency dealer? Or His like job is basically distributing old money. So any money that is out of circulation shows up in bulk at his factory in upstate New York, and they have many, many different trade shows that they go to, packaging paper money or um, effectively coinage. So that's where my dad comes in. He's a marketing director. He's a self-made businessman. I think our fathers have one thing in common, which is the whole, you need to create a business title for yourself and you know own it. And you know no one's going to, label you you need to label yourself you need to find a way to pitch yourself and make the work your own so my dad totally self-made himself as like senior vp of marketing or something like that that's all i need to say right <laughs> and uh but so but he was doing this ever since i was a boy ever since yeah. like i was 10 or 11 and he's still doing it uh uh, even so much just to the point where he's now implemented a whole side business in the studio that's connected to our house it used to be my mother's studio where she made hats and now my father has it as like a place where he has workers come in to help with the cleaning of these Roman coins. The whole point is is to like clean them and make them more presentable and then ship them off to investors and I've always thought buyers. That, yeah, I've always thought that ancient currency was really cool. When I was in the museum and they had ancient coinage and stuff, yeah. I've always really thought that was neat. And I remember um, my father actually, he, he, he always liked that too. He took me one time, I want to say on um, near like 57th Street, there's a... Uh, a currency dealer, yeah, like right across from like the Russian Tea Room or something like that. And he took me in there one time. We were looking at the pages of the old bills because of all the bills they've taken out of circulation. Hundred dollar bill is the largest bill in an American circulation right now. Mm-hmm. There, there are five hundred dollar, thousand dollar, five thousand, ten thousand. All those bills exist. Mm-hmm. They just they said you know we got to take them out of circulation because of criminals. It was always hard for me as an ADD kid to try and describe this to people who didn't even really know what numismatist was then either my fascination was and interest was not even so much in his job but where he went so this last clip we're going to play is me interviewing him over the phone he's in chicago can i put you on speaker for a minute can i put you on speaker yeah i just can i please can i just put you on speaker i don't know uh okay fine i'm doing a link up satellite here I'm doing a link up satellite with that recorder. Yeah. Alright. Oh, it, it's alright. <laughs> it's alright, you're my dad. Alright, hold on. Hold on. 
there? Yeah. All right. Hi, Dad. How are you? What's up going down there in Chicago? What's up or down? Well, uh, Chicago is uh, is on the ground. Uh, no, I mean, it's like windy? Uh, actually, it wasn't windy, but and most of Chicago is, is, uh, is very nice. There's a beautiful lake. It's called Lake Michigan. That's right here. And Lake Michigan is, is you know, it's like, looks like... It looks like the ocean. It's, it's so big. You can look out. You don't see anything. You know, like the horizon. All you see is water as far as the eye can see. Yeah. So it feels like the ocean. Yeah. And there are millions of boats uh, that are parked uh, in the marinas. So it feels really very, oddly enough, it feels like uh, Chicago is, is right at, on, the, on the ocean. It's, it's mm. an a, unusual thing, even though it's way, way, way inland. And these are just huge lakes. Yeah. So, um that's that's the uh, that's the nice part. Also, it, it feels a lot. We're right in dead center, in the middle of the of the of the city, and the yeah. city feels very much like you would expect New York City to feel, except that it's I think I think a little cleaner, and it's not as uh, not as noisy, and uh, it it just seems to be a nicer you know a little bit more humane kind of city than New York, but very similar feel. Like with the big buildings and uh, Tom and I. How's the show going? What's that? How's the show going? Oh, um, today my mom and I set up our booths. They're right next to each other, so we were able to help each other out. Gotcha. And uh, it was uh, it was uh, everything went smoothly. I think uh, that that uh, you know we we ship a lot of packages to to Chicago in order to have all of the the booth uh, supplies arrive there and one of the things that what mom and I always worry about is what happens if a package gets lost so uh, the fact that all the packages got uh, we have to go now <laughs> sorry well we, 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 sh- we wish we could t- give you more I forgot to mention that my mom was there I totally this was like one of the rare occasions when I was younger where my parents both went away it was one of the fair few occasions that my, my mom went to with my dad to help him out it's at that point my dad was going to these shows normally on his own and for some reason i guess my mom was there as well with him um they do that every now and again too or not my mom with my dad per se but sometimes they do it it's even just so much as like my sister has gone to chicago to help my dad out at this point now as an adult because he just needs as many hands on deck as possible my father uh is still working hard and i'm still interviewing like a weirdo (laughs) (laughs) you were you seemed fascinated at what he was saying yes and um Hey, we got to wrap up, and it, I'm sorry that we have to wrap up so quickly. But hey, we got we covered a lot of ground emotionally uh, and whatnot this week. Thank you, Jimmy, for being so uh, candid in your conversation with me today, and uh, thank you for letting me piggyback on that a little bit and chat about my pops a little bit. No problem. Thank you all for listening so much and uh, for you know being a great audience. You yes. can also find that film, the documentary I did in its entirety on YouTube. So search for Multifaceted by James Hoffman. We're lost and rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Take care. So, um... I thought you were not supposed to bring that out of the house. What? I thought you were not supposed to...